Welcome to episode one of Booty and Bossy Eat, Drink, Knit, the podcast that makes you feel better about your crafting projects. Today, Bossy and I will be talking about beginnings with grandma and new beginnings. But first, Bossy, what's on the menu for today? Yes, we always have to start with either a drink or an eat, something that you can have while you're making. So I thought we could start with, this is a recipe that is kind of famous in my neighborhood. We have an annual Halloween party, and this is one of our favorites. And it's really kind of like fall in a cup. It's basically apple cider and caramel vodka. You can use any kind of brand of caramel vodka. We started with three parts of apple cider and one part of caramel vodka. Then, well, Booty, do you want to explain what you thought about those proportions? Well, I thought it was great, but I like my drinks a little more booze forward and Mm. less on the sweet side. So I added some seltzer to mine to kind of lighten it up a little. And and it's really delicious. I mean, who knew? Caramel vodka. So good. Yeah. Who buys caramel vodka? Oh, we do. But I, I have to say, it, <laughs> it surprised me when a friend of mine actually brought it to, to a party a number of years ago, and it sort of became a staple. But the thing about it is that the caramel vodka, it's it's not sweet. It's just a caramel taste in the in the vodka but after i tried it i actually mixed it with one part of martinelli's sparkling cider which is a little bit lighter and a little bit drier so i think the sweet spot that we figured out was two parts apple cider any brand will do one part caramel vodka and then one part either seltzer or martinelli's sparkling cider it is delicious Highly recommend. I don't know if you want to say anything else about it, Booty. Serve it over ice and Mm. get your drink, get ready, and let's talk about our beginnings in knitting. Well, yes, and I do have to quote Aristotle here. Aristotle said that the beginning is more than half of the whole and shines a light through all the rest. And That is something that I think is really true. And so this on our first podcast, we wanted to devote it to kind of beginnings. So Booty, tell me the story of how you started knitting. What was your beginning? Well, Bossy and I are sisters and I was about, I think about 10 years old when our grandmother on my father's side taught me how to knit um, with some, it was 1980. So it was some really scratchy scour pad, blue <laughs> acrylic yarn. Yep. And these ma- yummy <laughs> and this magenta. I mean, there's a lot of really nice acrylic now, but in 1980 it was not so great. And especially not at, Walmart or wherever it was that we got it. Well, Grandma uh, bought everything at Sears, so it was probably at Sears. Oh, that's right. Yeah, if it it don't fit, it was bought at Sears. Yeah. She actually pinned that note onto a a shirt for our brother. (laughs) She gave him for Christmas. (laughs) If it don't fit, it was bought at Sears. So, Yeah. yeah, Sears had the magenta metallic 
boy needles that were the straight needles because you you want to start with straight needles nobody oh. ever starts with straight needles now. <laughs> it's horrible so she cast on for me she taught me how to knit and to purl and the idea was that i was going to have a lovely ribbed scarf at the end of this but i didn't know how to cast off i didn't know how to change skeins of yarn i didn't know what to do with the end of the yarn didn't yeah. know about weaving in or any of that so that was that was my first beginning i did learn how to knit in pearl i have to say though at least you had aptitude because grandma actually tried to teach me to knit i i think i was much younger in my defense i was about five years old and i remember her sitting next to me and i just had no idea. I didn't understand any of it. And I remember just thinking, well, I'm just going to pretend that I know what I'm doing. So I was just like randomly wrapping yarn around the needles, hoping that it just kind of looked like something like knitting, you know, the fake it till you make it, except I didn't make it. I remember <laughs> her looking over at me and saying, well, I don't know what you're doing, but it ain't knitting. <laughs> and just feeling like an epic failure. And then she said, you know, I think maybe you're left-handed. You're going to have to get your mother to teach you because I can't teach left-handers. And what was funny about it was, you know, A, I'm not left-handed. I'm pretty strongly right-handed. I do have to say, I did enter knitting first feeling like an epic failure from grandma. And I, I just, I think it's <laughs> always, so interesting just yeah, because. I mean, always a great way to start. <laughs> You're bad at this. I mean, that really gets you going. <laughs> Remember that movie? I think it was Surf's Up where the guy's trying to teach him how to plane. And he's like, with the grain, with the grain, yeah. you're doing it wrong. You know? <laughs> yeah. That scene just was so perfect. And as a parent, there's so many things that you, you feel like you're doing it wrong, doing it wrong. Just let me do it. Right. And let me show you again. What I guess grandma wanted. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> you can never have too many demonstrations. <laughs> but it's so interesting because, I mean, here we are from the same family. And we even had the same person showing us. But we just had such a completely different experience of it right well and and grandma was an expert i mean she she was a really good knitter she knew how to knit and she made bossy's a beautiful little sweater and mm. she made our brother a beautiful little sweater probably acrylic from sears but it yep. was really cute i think if if there was one lesson in there is that little kids look cute in pretty much anything knit, well, because they're cute. Yeah. You might not want to wear it. Well, all children are terrible and ungrateful when it comes to knitted <laughs> items, but we digress. Yes. We'll, we'll get especially. Yeah. So after my initial attempt where I learned sort of the process, but not how to make an actual product, I was working in a store and it was a very high end store. And so we didn't get very many customers in. And uh, this other 
other salesperson and I, we, she taught me how to knit a mohair scarf on very large needles with very thick, fuzzy yarn that could hide any mistakes. And it was just garter. So it was just knitting every row. And also it was on circular needles. So Mm. that was a revelation. Like this is way more comfortable than the, those straight needles. The product was very pretty, not great for wearing around your neck. Um, if you don't like scratchy mohair, who doesn't like it, scratchy mohair? That got mohair, me going though. Yeah. I know the ungrateful children. Mm. <laughs> what was yeah. your, what was your second beginning? I, I have to say, I, I look back on it now and I think I, I was a little bit scarred from my first beginning because I did, I really did enjoy, you know, what we would call now fiber crafts. And I mean, I grew up in the era where you still had home economics classes. And, you know, I remember in fifth and sixth grade, everybody had to, even the boys had to sew, we had to sew a bag and we had to sew, I think we had to do a pillow with like a ruffled edge. And I, I have to say, I, I don't think I was very good at sewing. I remember I was the master of the sort of BB plus, you know, my, my seams weren't always very straight, but <laughs> I really enjoyed I, I it. I love, yeah. Well, and I loved your sewing projects because I was the beneficiary of a rag doll that was made with a yarn hair. So there was yarn involved. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure it was acrylic. It was <laughs> you orange yarn and it had a lovely little, little house on the prairie dress, maybe with an apron or something on top. And yep. then the butter, the butterick pattern, the four piece with the, the prairie oh, yeah. blouse and the underskirt with the ruffle. They were yes. like an, a, beige floral and then the corduroy vest and Mm. the corduroy overskirt with buttons down the front. And that was just such a great outfit. I mean, for the late (laughs) seventies with my Mia clogs. Well, and I just felt so good. Yeah. Well, and I love that because I mean, and and you were always so great about that booty. You you always wore whatever it was I made, however ill fitting it might have been. You know, I I kind of vaguely remember <laughs> that you sort of had to suck in your tummy because <laughs> I wasn't very good at fitting. I well, think it was, there was the BB plus. Well, <laughs> no, I I I don't think it was so much that because there was a wraparound skirt. <laughs> that you started when I was five, but finished when I was maybe seven. <laughs> so, <laughs> even though it was a wrap around it, which is pretty forgiving, it was kind of hard to close. Yeah. These are such great, like seventies. Like I remember those, you know, the sort of layered look and the, and the wraparound skirt was like huge, you know, and I don't think anybody looked good in that. But, you know, you could make this and then you didn't like need any zippers or anything. You just needed sort of right. long strings, you know. Um, no, I love that. And I do remember yeah. that doll because 
I remember that the way I put the hair on was I, you know, I basically kind of lined up a bunch of lengths of yarn and then I just sewed a seam down the middle. So if she had the misfortune <laughs> of bouncing, you would see that she was completely bald on either side. Yeah, you couldn't really <laughs> you couldn't really put her in a ponytail because she would, it would yeah. be more like a mohawk. <laughs> yeah. I think it was meant to like she was supposed to have sort of braids on either side, like Pippi Long stocking. But, um, uh, yeah, but yeah. yeah, and she did look good as long as it was down. <laughs> yeah, she did look good from all sides, and so you, know, then, you definitely didn't want her to be upside down either because, yeah, then you'd really see her bald spots, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, and, and also, you remember to put underwear on her because you know that's the first thing you lift up the dress and look to see does yeah. it have underwear or no? <laughs> Had little bloomers. I do but, remember um, the bloomer. They were so cute. And that actually took skill, too, because it was elastic. And like a mm. ruffle. As Bossy will often say, it's a good thing that dolls don't complain when you're trying to squeeze them into whatever little tiny outfit you've made. <laughs> That's yes. true. But, no, they and I have complain. to say, after after sort of the, the sixth grade home economics and then... I I mean, I remember sewing throughout. I made clothes for pillows and beds and windows and stuff. But, but then when I was in graduate school, I, you know, I was in Massachusetts and I enrolled, I was doing my dissertation and I enrolled in the, the Hill Institute uh, master weaving program. I really didn't know anything about, it. I just thought, well, weaving, that sounds cool. And it was a great program. They had about 28 looms, I think, set up in this big room and each one had a different project. And over the span of two to four years, I think you, you would just work your way through each project on each loom and it taught you different techniques and color and different weave structures and things like that. And I love that, but I did start to realize that most crafting at that point in my life was basically a procrastination strategy for not writing my <laughs> dissertation. And I realize now yeah. that a lot of crafting is really just procrastinating doing other things that I don't want to do. Um, well, either that or because you're waiting. I mean, that was what got me going, I think, uh, for the third time around was that I was making stuff for my kids or mm -hmm. making a little hat or something while they were sleeping. So it was when I was, my kids were really little, I was finding that I was wanting to do something while they were playing at the park or, or I thought you were supposed to be playing doing... with them when they're playing at the park. It's the, you know, no, you say like, Oh, well I do. I taught preschool for many years and I did play with the kids, <laughs> but I also, I think that what you want to do is you want to, and this is why I think knitting is so great is you want to observe them. You want to be kind of watching them and, you know, you're contributing to their play and they're the constant, hey, mom, 
Hey mom, Hey mom, Hey mom, <laughs> you're actually conversing with them and you're, you're, you're providing a sort of commentary, giving them really enriching vocabulary. <laughs> Like, feedback. Not yet, and sweetie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know that I, I can't that. put this down until I finish the row. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Put that down. Don't do that. Yeah. Yeah. Ah. So that was, I. it was a good thing for me to kind of give the kids a little more space to do their own thing and still be, feel like I was doing something. That sounds like a really big fat rationalization, but we will go with it because <laughs> it, it does actually tie to the, my, my sort of second entry into knitting was actually very much like you said, tied to my children. My, uh, wait, I only have one, my child. He, he, but <laughs> when you only have one, it feels like five. I just got to say that. Um, <laughs> it's but, true. It is true. But no, my son was a swimmer. And if any of you have ever had a child doing swimming, you know that swim meets are the very definition of eternity. I, I've also heard that sheet cakes are the definition of eternity and also spiral <laughs> hams. But I think the real eternity yeah. is a swim meet. And I remember thinking, you know, I need to do something. Otherwise, they're going to make me work the concession stand, which, you know, was the kiss of death. Um, <laughs> so if I was busy, you know, doing something. But the thing about swim meets is that, you know, you're watching your kid for 45 seconds. And then it's another 45 minutes before they swim in their next event. And so you need to do something if you don't want to work the concession stand. You know, and the other thing is that as your child progresses and gets faster, then the time that you're actually watching them is shorter and shorter. And the time in between gets longer and longer. That for me was definitely, it was that time. And I, I think I needed to feel like I was doing something during yeah. that time. Well, and, and in the evening, when I was just exhausted and I really couldn't do much besides either sit and read or sit and watch TV. And I felt like if I was watching TV with my husband, then I was being with him. But I was also, I also had a project in my lap and I was doing something. So it, it felt like it was a way to keep sane. <laughs> get through no, that. But then, is... then I started actually, but then I started working with sweaters and making, I think my first sweater was one for my daughter when she was born. And then I made one for my son that was a very thick woolly yarn on very small mm -hmm. needles. <laughs> so I had kind of a sheet of armor <laughs> coat of mail woolly armor yes a coat of mail but with fun buttons that didn't really work because they were like fish so they had fins and tails and they poked out and mm. were hard to use but yeah and it's yeah. hard to find buttons that work with a coat of mail <laughs> 
there's not that much <laughs> out there for that. I mean, who, yeah. And I didn't realize too that, you know, if you want to do fish buttons, it's really better to like get a round button with a fish picture on it. <laughs> mm. But a friend showed me how to make a sweater for myself. Mm. That was a whole another opening into the greatness of making your own garments that it, you will actually wear and love, mm. and not complain about. Right. Unlike ungrateful children <laughs> who are half-hearted, half-hearted wearers of, of hand-knit garments. Yeah. So my second beginning in knitting um, was really, you were really the one, because at that point you, you were doing a lot of knitting. And so you had said, you know, you, you should try knitting. You can take that with you to a swim meet to avoid working at the concession stand. And, um, <laughs> so I, and I remember you said the best thing to learn on, because I did actually know how to knit, but kind of like you, I didn't really know how to, if I made a mistake or anything like that, I didn't know how to fix it. And I was terrified of taking anything out. I was afraid, you know, I'd never get it back on the needles. But I remember you said, you know, you should really start with a hat because a hat will teach you all of the basics. You know, it will teach you how to cast on, how to increase and decrease, how to use the, you know, three pointed needles when you get up to the crown and everything. And that, and I think too, that was such good advice because it was also not a huge project. I could kind of see the end, um, and feel like, you know, as much as beginnings are important that when you're starting off, being able to finish something is huge for then do beginning something else. Yeah. Um, and I remember we went yeah. to webs and we picked out some yarn and I made my husband a hat, which he did wear, which was also very gratifying. <laughs> I have to say, I have always loved when people wear the things I make. I think that's what I always loved about the, the Butterick little house on the prairie meets the seventies interpretation, you know? <laughs> Well, and yeah, and Bossy's husband is really a big fan of the knitting. He's really a good, he's a good hus husband. But we should explain to you that uh, Bossy is on the East Coast. So Webb's, America's Yarn Store, is not too far away. And I'm on the West Coast. So, yeah, we have a little bit different local yarn shops. <laughs> Hers yeah. is the probably one of the oldest in the country. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, yeah. um, and it's interesting because the Hill Institute, which is in Florence, Massachusetts, you know, it's been around for a long, long time. And the, the master weaver certificate program, and, and they also have a program in woodworking and, you know, it's a whole Institute that was kind of designed mm. to teach people these master crafts or allow them a way to get masters, kind of like the old guild system, allow them a way to get the status of being a master at a craft. But who was it that told you that a hat was a good thing to start with? It was Stephanie Pearl McPhee, who's well known for her really funny writings about knitting. And yeah, she was the one who, who and, and she's 
a big sock knitter. She believes in, I think socks are not great as a beginning project just because the needles are so small and the yarn is so thin. She, so a hat is great for a worsted weight project on kind of medium needles. She talks about how casting on for the, for the ankle, if you're doing a top down sock and then working to the heel and then picking up the heel uh, stitches and working around the foot and, and then the grafting at the end that it's, it's, it's all just so exciting. <laughs> I haven't, I haven't gotten too much into, I could relate to that, but, and here's the problem. After you finish, you have to knit the other sock. And that just seems like, I know, uh, I like you got me to knit the fingerless gloves, which I, I loved yeah. except for that. I have no, one-handed friends, you know, so that you, you, you knit the one and then you realize, oh, I'm only halfway there. Yeah. So the, I do feel that is the problem with both mittens and socks. You have to do two. Yeah. And sleeves, yeah. The sleeves, as long as mm. complaining about. <laughs> we haven't, yes. so far, we haven't knit any pants. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That, that mm. yeah, I don't think I need to knit pants, but I have to say you, you <laughs> knit way more sweaters. I, I really like the, the ponchos of, or the serapes because you don't have to worry so much about fitting. I like the fact that they don't have sleeves. That is so, um, yeah, it's actually more knitting because they don't have sleeves because you're, when you have sleeves, when it, you're not knitting that sort of area between your underarm and your side body, whereas in a poncho, you are. Oh. Like, it has to be much wider to... <laughs> but okay, I feel like you shouldn't have told me that, because... <laughs> <laughs> well, I've knit some ponchos where I feel like, oh, this is taking forever. I mean, it's essentially like making a blanket. Um, no. And this yeah, was why actually, I mean, talking about other knitting inspirations, like you, you definitely got me, you know, started on the hat, I, another, and then the time at swim meets, that was definitely an important factor. Mm -hmm. And then um, the other thing was YouTube. I mean, I think that was the big thing that I was able to watch things on YouTube and I could watch them again and again, and I, I could figure out my mistakes and, that was really important for me to progress as a knitter. Yeah. Having somebody close by that is, because here's the thing, if you're sitting, if it's 10 o'clock at night and you're trying to figure out something, you can't call anybody. There's this. <laughs> so, and you want to know right then. Thank you. Internet wizards. Yeah. The Googles. But the Googles. I, I, it, I mean, I think you were, really important for getting me started on knitting. But, but I do have to say, I was always oh. inspired. My husband's mother was a great knitter and, you know, she had six kids and she would knit each of them a sweater every Christmas. And mind you, some of her Ugh. kids are big. I mean, you know, my husband's little brother is six foot nine. I mean, that must've been like, knitting free blankets and stitching them together. She would 
knit all the pieces. You know, she never did like a top-down sweater, I don't think. But then she send them out to be pieced together. She she had a knit knitting store where she could take in all the pieces and they would actually fit it together, which I thought was interesting. She only did the knitting. Right. The fun part. <laughs> Well, and there is someone, uh, Keith Leonard, who will, who used to do that. He's more of a teacher now. He doesn't, and, and actually he dyes yarn too, but he, you could send him your pieces and then he would sew them together. And I took one of his classes and it was really enlightening that it makes a big difference how you finish things. In fact, I've got, I've got a project right now that a toy, a little bunny that I'm making. I think it's really, really important for the <laughs> the face to look good. The bunny eyes are a little bit wonky or the mouth isn't quite it then. So I hate to say this, but I decapitated the bunny because I didn't like the head. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm redoing the whole thing. <laughs> well, or, or you should, what's, what's the guy who did the, Halloween Christmas movie that it, it could just be a bunny oh, from the Nightmare Before Christmas, a Nightmare Before yeah. Christmas type thing. You know, well, yeah, that's a great idea. This is for a three-year-old, and they might not see it that way. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I like that well, thinking. Yeah. yeah. Well, I yeah, I mean, I I, I am a great believer, and actually, you were the one that told me this that your mistake becomes part of the design, although that doesn't always work. Yeah, there is some. It depends on the mistake. I mean, there is some. There's something where you're not you're supposed to put a mistake in there because if otherwise, if it's perfect, then it's like you're better than God. Well, I I think that's you're, part of the Jewish tradition is that the that you always mm. insert a mistake so that you know that it is made by man. And that's how you know that it's only God makes perfect things. Just exactly. Cool. Humbling. Yeah, that's a really nice idea. Well, what would you say was your greatest knitting triumph? I would say that probably the my sweaters that I've one of my favorite designers is Marie Green, and she's a big fan of the top-down seamless sweater. Mm. And I have to say, it's for me, I want a, the combination of a really good project that's fun to knit <laughs> and that looks good in the end, doesn't take too long. And that's my problem with seaming or these little toys that I've made is that it's the finishing that has to be good in order to make the, the final product good. So, yeah, that's, I would say any one of her sweater designs has been really fun. And that was also a big learning curve for, you actually have to measure yourself and not really, and realize that this is just a number that really doesn't mean a whole lot except for it when you're trying to fit a sweater. <laughs> so, mm. so whatever that number is, you can, you can make that work, mm. but you have to know that number because if you don't then, and you're knitting for a different number, it's not going to fit. It's just not going to work that well. Mm. Yeah. 
But if you're a bigger well, which, number, you have to do more knitting. So, <laughs> yes. Yeah, but that's great because it's more knitting. It's more knitting. <laughs> that's true. Well, I, I do think, though, that there is this kind of magic. I remember feeling that way when I was weaving, and the same is true for knitting. It's that magic of sort of taking this ball of yarn or cone of thread and turning it into a fabric, you know, and kind of seeing it happen before your eyes. I, I think it's it's kind of magical. And you and you feel like you've that thrill of feeling like you've made something and then somebody wearing it. I mean, every mm -hmm. time I make something, you know, I say it, I don't, I love some of the hats that I've made because people have really enjoyed them and worn them. Um, and that's really made me happy. I don't usually make something and just put it in the present closet and be like, well, next time somebody needs a baby blanket, you know, <laughs> I'll be ready. Uh, you know, I always make things that are very specific to, and to the person that I'm making them for the colors and the design and stuff. There have been some really great hat patterns actually that you've shared with me that people have really seemed to enjoy. Vice versa, because I think you were the one that had the sort of turned up brim. Yeah. That was really cute. We'll have, we'll put a link to that. That was really yeah. fun to knit. And I think the nice thing with hats too, and socks, if I'm honest, is that you can do, you can learn a lot of things, just different textures, short rows, cabling, whatever it is. There's a lot of things in a small project. So you kind of get the hang of it without having to make something really huge or. Yeah. And that's, that's so good because it, it is, I really enjoy a project when I can learn something new, a new technique or something like that, you know, even if it's small, that, mm -hmm. that just kind of adds a whole other layer to it for me. And, yeah, you know, I mean, it's sort of that endless, it's like Cleopatra, infinite variety that, that <laughs> here you have these two simple pat knit and pearl, but the number of right. things that you can come up with it, um, all of the variations and you really can't ever know all of it, even if you're a super experienced knitter like you, unlike me. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. yeah. I, yeah. I love that it's that there's always something new to learn, not learn because it's <laughs> really hard. Well, <laughs> I think the, we've kind of reached the end of the story of our many beginnings, but I guess that's what I love about all of our beginnings is that, you know, we both, from very in very different ways, we both had starts and restarts, beginnings and new beginnings. But I think we've we've reached the end of our the story of our beginnings. But the launching of this podcast <laughs> is in many ways yet another beginning. Oh no, I gotta go. Mom's bleeding. Oh, okay. Well, thank you all for joining our <laughs> podcast. And yeah, go deal with mom and her bleeding. <laughs>